about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give encouragement. Oh, sorry. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Good evening. Uh, it's good to be with you. I'll introduce myself because there are faces I don't recognise. Andrew is my name. I'm the senior minister here. Um, and I'll just add my welcome to Kez's. Hope you have a great evening. Uh, we're picking up here on week two of <clears throat> a new sermon series on Romans. Um, uh, the, my slides failed to upload, but that is not a problem because... Everything that was in my slides is in the handout you got. Uh, as yes, there, w- there was nothing dramatic, no, not even any nice artworks this week. So everything you need is here. There's an outline. There's some headings. There's the passage, uh, and you're mercifully spared any of my attempts at graphs and things. Okay, let's uh, pray again. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you so much for this good and challenging part of your word and for the wonderful way the apostle speaks about the church here. And we pray, please, that you would teach us and change us through it. For Christ's sake. Amen. What makes a good church member? How do you become a good church member? When I was a teenager, I got some good advice about this. The headmaster of the school I was at took our whole year group aside and talked to us about school chapel. I went to a Christian school and he said, and I've never forgotten it, he said, I'm never bored in chapel because I'm either listening or I'm asleep. But if I sleep, and this is, see, this was the tricky bit, if I sleep, I sleep, words to live by, I offer them to you uh, and grateful for your consideration. We can do better though, well at least I hope we can. Last week we began reading, as I said, and thinking about Romans chapter 12, and the way Paul begins this section 
of his most famous letter with a bold vision for the Christian life as a life of wholeness, body, mind, and spirit, united, coordinated in action that gives praise to God. The really interesting thing we need to think about this week, though, is what Paul does straight away after that, right? Two verses, this vision, and then straight away, he turns to talk about church, turns to talk about Christian community. It's the very next thing he feels the need to talk about. And I want to start by just registering this. The importance the apostle gives to church here. It's just obvious to Paul that the Christian life, the life of worship of God, it throws you into life as church, life with brothers and sisters. And it's critical to think about, Paul thinks, how we do this and how to do it well. Um, You know, the apostles' understanding of the Christian life is just a million miles away from, from the kind of individualized spirituality people often talk about when they, when they think about spirituality. Being a Christian for Paul means not just being a part of, but being deeply bound up with Christian community. So what we have today, as we turn to this passage, is a challenge about how we engage with church. We can sum up this challenge uh, under the heading of three things we owe church. That's the heading I gave it, I think. Three things we each owe church. Um, The Apostle says we owe church honest judgment of ourselves rather than pretense. These are the headings. We owe church delight in difference rather than anxious uniformity. And we owe church persistent energy in love rather than apathy. That last one doesn't sound very good, but I think the idea is right. I think this is a really exciting passage full of promise for our life together, so come with us, let's look at it. Okay, the first thing. The first thing we all owe church is what we could call honest judgment or or honest self-assessment. We owe one another a realistic honest sense of ourselves and our contributions. Look at the first verse there, verse 3 of chapter 12. Paul writes, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You know, sometimes people say that what we should be on about is self-forgetfulness. Have you ever heard that, the phrase self-forgetfulness? A couple of mild head nods, not a lot of enthusiasm, that's all right. Self-forgetfulness, you know, that's good in a way, right? It, it is good for us to think less about ourselves and more about others, isn't it? Yeah? But actually, the phrase is wrong, because... It's, it's, it's actually very important that we do not forget ourselves, but actually that we, we think about ourselves well. And what that means is not having a big head. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, says Paul. Don't est- overestimate yourself. Don't have a kind of inflated sense of your own importance. Gee, that's easy to do. Because we all see the world from within our own perspective. And and from within our own perspective, our own perspective looks pretty fantastic. It makes sense. We can see all the reasons we have for doing things. 
but we're less good at seeing our faults. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror? This, this is kind of a, this may be something that happens to me more, but have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and actually been kind of surprised by, by what you see? Ooh, you know, a little bit more grey hair, or maybe just hair where you didn't expect it to be, uh, or a pimple that you didn't, and you've gone through the whole day, and you're like, oh, I think that's a little parable for how we very often are in, in, in public and with our sense of ourselves. It's really easy for us to not be very conscious of our faults or for our faults to kind of just, we just miss them. We don't, we're, not, we're not really accurate about the impression we make on others. We should make sure we don't think this is just a danger for particularly arrogant people. I mean, it is a danger for particularly arrogant people, so, you know, if you're very arrogant, then don't be. But, you know, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought is actually much more subtle than that. It's also something that's related to life experience. If you've grown up with people telling you from day one that you're brilliant and seeing you as important, if you grew up in a family and, you know, at the dinner table... Everybody always listened to you and paid attention, and then you are going to, that's going to shape the way you see things. You're going to grow up with a sense, probably, that your voice matters. By contrast, if you grew up with people kind of skeptical about you or underestimating you, that also tends to have an impact. And this means, I think, that we should probably think about our family background, our gender, our class, our ethnic background and how that may have shaped the way we kind of bring to bear our, our self in community. If you are white, or a man, or from a wealthy background, or if you're well-educated, or if you're all of those things, that will almost certainly have left you with a kind of unconscious sense of importance that it's worth trying to take out and have a little look at. Now, I'm not saying the point is to just feel really guilty about the life you've been given or, or withdraw into a kind of nervous, apologetic mess. There's actually not much good in doing that. The point is so that we can learn, as the Apostle says, to think of ourselves with sober judgment. That means wisely and sensibly, with a clear-eyed sense of who we are and what we bring to community. For some of us, this will actually mean beginning to learn not to underestimate ourselves and our contribution. Some of us have learned habits of underselling ourselves, underrating our abilities and undervaluing our contribution. What we are called to here is to not be just unnecessarily modest or to minimise and ignore our gifts. That's not sober judgement, doesn't actually help the community. Oh, well, how do, we, how do we move towards a better, a right sense of ourselves? I think it's really hard. But I think one key lies in what Paul says at the end of verse 3, which also will lead us to our second point. Paul says we have to think of ourselves in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Do you see that bit at the end? 
Now, that's not actually a totally easy phrase, either in English or in the original Greek. Um, But I reckon the point, even though the phrase is awkward, I think the point is fairly simple. It is that faith takes a different shape in each of our lives, and it leads to different forms of service. And the way to learn to think about ourselves with sober judgment, or at least one way, is to recognize this, that the faith God has given me positions me to contribute to the community in particular ways, and that that's going to be different from other people. I'm getting more of a, more of a handle on that. And this leads to the second thing that each of us owes church, which is delight in difference. But I have made a snap decision to pause and see if there are any questions. I'm going to do this twice, I think, and I'm going to pause here because it seems to me this is a passage that's worth giving us the opportunity to discuss briefly. That will mean we blow out slightly because we've got the Lord's Supper, but I'll make sure it doesn't go too much. So I just want to pause there and see if there's any questions. Kez, do you mind running a microphone around? Sorry, I gave her absolutely no notice of that. Josh has a question up the back. And I will also, there's people online, let me take the chance to say hello to the people online. I hope you're doing well. There's a lot of people sick at the moment, it's a difficult time. So online, if you want to ask a question, I can probably get it. Maybe, not promising anything. Josh. Hello. Yep. Um, so you mentioned, obviously, that a lot of privilege is involved in how people get to be involved in these things. When a lot of people are making those decisions on who is responsible for tasks and things like that, how does that impact that and how do you take uh, into consideration what these verses are, namely maybe the reduction of women's roles in ministry over time and things like that, or not necessarily just women, but you know, the way certain people are overlooked for someone else or what it may be based on their upbringing or something like that, their circumstance. Yeah and how it relates back to this. So part of the answer to that, I think we have to leave to the conversation about gifts. But let me say something now. I just think this passage, uh, this first verse, is an encouragement to, to just keep trying to do better on that score. Right? And to, to, to keep trying to think of um, one another and ourselves accurately. I mean, in the first instance, that first verse is about how we think about ourselves. And, and Paul's main interest is that we not have an inflated sense of our own importance. Um, but you're right, as a whole, this passage does lead to kind of wanting to ask questions about, okay, who's, who's included and who's not included? Um, who's being overlooked? Uh, and whose contribution might, be, might we be missing? But I might just leave that till... I've talked a bit more about difference, the second point, because I think that's where that comes out again. But thanks for raising a question. I'm not going to answer it adequately tonight, guaranteed. Andy has a question. You or your dog? No, no, the microphone will be there in a second. For the benefit of everyone else. Uh, is, there, is the goal that everybody should, in their sober judgment, view themselves as equally important as everyone else in the church, or does Paul still envision some sort of ranking or greater and lesser importance? Mm. Uh, so I, I think there... I don't think when Paul says, talk, think of yourself with sober judgment, he's mainly talking about whether you're important or not, right? Actually, I think there is a kind of radical equality 
that comes in uh, because of the gospel, uh, that all who believe are made children of God. And so there is a radical equality under God. Nobody is more or less important. Uh, every person in a Christian community is worth the blood of Christ. And that, that gives everybody a kind of radical importance. I think what Paul's talking about mainly is the, our sense of kind of self-importance um, and the way we um, kind of perceive ourselves and the, the way we think we contribute and the value of our contribution. Like one of the things Paul's doing is, is, to, is actually to try and push, push us to see the importance of other people and the importance of other contributions, and the value to the community of other contributions. Yeah. That, that leads us quite nicely again to the second point. So let's come back. Let's, I'll give another space for questions in a minute, let's, let's, unless there was one pressing. Do you want to just ask it again in a bit? Okay. Um, let me go on, because I think some of these questions will come out more once we give Paul a chance to talk about gifts and the body. Okay, so he goes on in verse 4 to explain what he means with an illustration. Church community, Paul says, is like a body. The argument goes like this. It's not that complicated. First, in verse 4, he says, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function. This is not rocket science, right? You have one body. That is, your body is a real unity. It's not it's not just a weird collection of body parts, okay? It's, it's a thing. Um, but it does have different bits, your body. Bits that do different things. Your nose smells and your elbow bends. Well, says Paul, Christianity is like that too. Verse 5, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Um, now, before we move on, can we just take a moment to register the magnitude of that last comment? You and I belong to one another. Paul is saying, like an elbow belongs to a nose. I could have picked different bits, but they're the ones we're stuck with, elbow and nose. We are parts of one body. And the problem we have is that so many things work against this sense of belonging, right? People can choose to stop coming to church really easily. They just stop coming. People can choose to change churches. It can all seem really easily like a, a, just a kind of voluntary association, and there's a lot that's good about that. I mean, there's a, it's good that people have freedom to do all sorts of things, but that's not the reality of Christian community. The reality of Christian community is deeper and better than that. Um, in reality, those who belong to Christ are joined together so that each of us belongs to one another. To be a part of Christian community, really a part of it, that is, it means giving yourself to others. It means letting other people have a kind of stake in you. Now, that's a bit scary. I hasten to add, we're never allowed to weaponize that against each other, hold it against each other. But we should all take responsibility for, for caring about it and for it being part of our sense of 
our involvement in the community. We could talk about that a lot more, but Paul's main point in using this image of the body here is to emphasize the way it it should make us celebrate, delight in difference, to delight in diversity. Because just as a nose differs from an elbow, so all the different people who form a church make different contributions. We have different gifts, Paul says in verse 6, according to the grace given to each of us. Now, the use of the language of gifts here opens up a bunch of questions. Um, But before we get to them, we should just stay with Paul's point, which is to recognize that difference is God's gift. Difference is God's gift. We don't all offer exactly the same thing to one another. We aren't all able to contribute in the same ways, and that's good. That's good. How boring it would be if we were all the same. How useless it would be if we were all just, you know, elbows. One kind of thing, kind of blundering about, bending. Okay, that, that illustration is, is, is past its use by date, I think. But you know, you, you see the point, right? You can't all be the same, that doesn't work. And that's because real unity is not uniformity. Real unity is not uniformity. Real unity is difference together. Different gifts coordinated. There is not a tension between unity and diversity. Right? People sometimes say that that, that there's a tension between unity and diversity. diversity. No, there isn't. Unity is made of diversity. That is what unity in Christ is is meant to be like. It's made of difference. Okay, but what does it mean to to speak of this diversity using the language of gifts? What difference does that make? Well, the, the first thing to be clear on, or as clear as we can be, is what gifts are. The English word gifts can make it feel like Paul is talking about subjective abilities. Uh, do you know, sometimes we'll, talk, we'll say something like, oh, she's very gifted. And it, it's a kind of reference to somebody's abilities. Um, now, subjective abilities are part of the picture here, right? But that's not really what Paul means when he talks about gifts here, I don't think. Gifts are not so much abilities as forms of service that are open to us. Gifts are ways in which we are given and able to bless the community. Uh, The list he gives in the verses that follow bears this out, I think. The items on it are not so much abilities as as kinds of service or, or kinds of action, things people do to give gifts to others. And the point of this list, I think, is not it's not so much to make us anxiously wonder about what my gift is, um, but to enable us to appreciate and to delight in different contributions and, and to free us from a sense that we all have to be the same. If your gift is serving, says Paul, then serve. Don't feel you have to do or be someone else. We don't all have to be Bible study leaders or musicians. And that's good. 
Uh, finally, um, let me say that uh, the way Paul frames things here, I think, um, profoundly shapes Christian community in quite radical ways. The, the fact that he, this idea of gifts and this image of the body actually really shapes the Christian community in, in quite dramatic and interesting ways. Now, sometimes we don't see this, we miss it, because we're very used to ideas of democracy and we don't live in a very hierarchical context. But can I invite you to imagine yourself for a moment into the first century, right? Where there were slaves and masters in the same church. Imagine some people in here were slaves and some people were masters. And there are patrons of other people. And there are all these systems of honor and shame. To speak of a community using this image of the body and this language of gifts, it, it really disrupts all that in amazing ways. Because it, it puts people on a fundamentally, and this is the answer to Andy's question before, I think, it puts people on a, on a fundamentally equal footing as co-contributors to Christ's body. Yes, they contribute in different ways, and some of them are kind of more impressive in some ways than others, but they're all contributions to the body. And a body is, is, is you know, uh, a big toe may not be as elegant as, as, as a nose, or I have no idea about your view on that, but they're both important, actually. They're both profoundly important. So let me finish this section by just encouraging us all to try and lean into and delight in the diversity of the body of Christ and the uniqueness of your and others' contribution to it. Each of us makes only our own contribution, but that contribution matters. So let's rejoice in the ways we are able to serve and let's look around us and, divide and delight in the diversity of Christ's body. Um, but we won't be able to do any of this unless we pay also attention to the final part of our passage. But before I get there, and it is really the most important thing says here, I'm going to pause again and see if there are questions about this. I think there's a lot more to say about gifts, um, and it opens up all sorts of questions, so they won't be adequate, but it's worth a try. Kez, down here. Maxon. Andrew, do we, do we treat gifts as, um, I have this gift, but not this gift, I have this gift, but not this gift? Uh, just, I was just reading through some of, the, some of the lists, and I was wondering, like, it doesn't seem like you should be able to say, oh, look, I've got the gift of teaching, but I'm not actually, I'm not, I'm not, a, good, I'm not a great giver, so I'll just kind of, you know, it's not my gift. Yeah, that's a question, that's a good question, and that's why I, I think I want to say, so that's one reason to hear the last point, which I'll get to. But it's also, I think what I want to say, gifts are not primarily subjective abilities. They're forms of service that are available to us. So um, giving is a good one, right? I think the way that works, it's not the case that some of us can say, oh, it's not my gift to give, uh, so I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be part of that. Or, but it is the case that some people will find themselves in a position to contribute in in dramatic ways uh, by being generous. And some people will find themselves in a position to contribute in dramatic ways by showing mercy, even though everybody should be, try and be kind. 
Um, so I think at, at that level, gifts, I, the language of gifts, what it's trying to do is to identify that the fact that there's difference, even though we're all living the Christian life, um, God equips and enables some people to do things in particular ways. Yeah, I think, I think the, I mean, one reason to say this is the, the Greek word for gift is not the same, like, it, it's actually a form of the word for grace, right? So, uh, it just is graces, almost. And, and I think the way to think about them is forms of God's grace, uh, that, and, and what that means is opportunities to, that we're, we're, we're given to contribute to community. And part of the way that happens is through our abilities, right? But it's not the only factor. Uh, I mean, yeah, you, you're not going to be able to play the piano in church unless you have some ability to play the piano. Um, but there's also an opportunity, you know, if, you, if you're a good piano player, but the roster's full, the gift is kind of not given there in a sense. Caitlin? I was just going to say it's not full if you're a gifted piano player. Yeah, if you're a piano <laughs> player, we would love... God to give that gift <laughs> um, through you to the community. Um, Although we have some great piano players, I just... We have some awesome piano players. Um, my question is, uh, obviously we exist with, you know, we're an Anglican church, there are structures and systems that are part of who we are and how we do church that seem to privilege particular expressions of giftedness. Yeah. And even when we look at this list, like prophecy is there, um, but I don't know how much space we have to kind of honour that or see yeah. that expressed. Like, how do we hold those two <laughs> things together? Like, actually... That's a, this is a great question. Um, let me just dive in and try and say something, but then come back at me with what you... your reaction. So, I just think that is always true, right? In every context, every particular church and every particular context... We'll, we'll place some, not limits, but, but some breaks on uh, people's ability to do certain things. We're always, we're always within a, a situation that's limited in certain ways, and we're always kind of um, working out how we can contribute within this context. And that's because we're, we're creatures and we're limited. And I think that was the same in Rome and the same in Corinth. Those those contexts and situations shaped the kinds of opportunities people had available to them. But one of the things the idea of gifts is meant to do is it's, it's meant to help us keep pushing back at that a little bit, right? And so, because the way I, I think Paul's thinking is God the Holy Spirit keeps giving uh, people, abilities and desires uh, that, that sometimes push against the context they're in. Uh, and I think they give them, that person the right to ask questions about it. Now, can that be frustrating? Yes, it can. Um, and it can be quite difficult and there's a wrestle with, um, you know, the way the, the institution's got to work and the limits we have available and the context we have and how God seems to have enabled people uh, to operate, 
Um, and sometimes that tension is productive, right? So sometimes channeling somebody's gifts into a kind of institutional form can make them, can discipline them and make them really powerful and helpful. But sometimes it can be very frustrating. So I think this is just a tension that's always there. I just would rather have that tension, right? Because the alternative is a hierarchical system where we know how things are meant to happen and the, the, the hierarchy, they, they give out the roles, right? You come to church, this is what we need doing, you do it, right? That God, what the Bible says happens is something far more interesting, which is that there are structures, because all, all human communities have structures, but also there's the freedom of God's spirit to do whatever he wants. Um, and those things keep bumping up against each other. Do you want to come back at that? Uh, no, I think it's just, like, I think it's really helpful to say that those things exist in tension. I guess the challenge for us is how do we ensure that tension exists and what does it mean to be robust and dynamic in, in thinking about the, the ways that we create a community, first and foremost, regardless of the institution piece, that actually enables people to use their gifts to serve one another. Yeah, you should write that question down because it's actually like, it's exactly the right question to ask, right? How do we, how do we ensure there's a kind of dynamism? And, and in another book, Paul talks about not quenching the spirit, right? How do we ensure that um, we don't squash what God is doing? Um, can I say, though, there is also a place sometimes for the pushback and those limits. And let me just give you one example of the value of that. So when I, uh, I worked once in another Anglican diocese, I'll de-identify all this, and one of my jobs uh, was to run the ministry formation program. So I would interview people and talk to people about their suitability to go into ordained ministry. And I remember one man I met with who was sure he had the gifts for ministry and that it was right for him to go into it. And I was sure and others were sure that he was not suitable. His character and life circumstances meant that that, that was not the way for him. Now, he saw that as us standing in the way of, us exercise, of him exercising his gifts. Uh, but the way we saw it is that actually that's not the gift God is giving at that point uh, because he was not suitable. And uh, I, I think we were right to decide that. Uh, and I suspect you would agree with me if you saw the nature of the situation. And so I just think that's a reminder that it, it, it's, it's not only a subjective sense that, that this is what I'm supposed to do. That's, that is an important factor, but it's not the only factor. Uh, and we need to think about the nature of the community and what is needed as we go about working this out. Yeah. One more question, Stars. I'll be super quick when we do the Lord's Supper, don't worry. Um, so I guess on that sort of um, consideration of suitab like suitability and gifts, when it's not in the consideration of godliness and character, where does actual sort of ability um, c come into play? So if you're you know, assessing that person for ministry and there's you know, circumstances and character and godliness, whereas, say, you know, you're assessing someone 
um, you know, thinking about, you know, how people should be engaged in, in ministry, and if it's on someone's heart, say, you know, to do, I, I don't have a good, ex good example, you, you know, the piano example, like, it, where's the sort of, so do, do you actually have to be able to play the piano? Or could I say, I like, it's on my heart, God has, like, put me forward, and I'm... I'm yeah, I would say, get lessons yeah. at that point. So, it's not that the Lord can't, kind of enable you, us to do things we can't do now, he can, and actually kind of paying attention to that and, and beginning to pray about it can be a really fruitful thing to do. But, um, you know, God gives us to one another to help us have sober judgment about ourselves. And that's where we come back to the first point, I think. You know, we're called to think of ourselves with sober judgment. And so one of the things, for example, I've I've done is said to people, look, you're really actually very bad at preaching. So I think you should, I haven't said it in those, but in roundabout, you know, sometimes people need to hear this is, you're not ready for this yet. You can learn, you can grow. Here are some ways, but you're not in a position to do this yet. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it's a good question. And like, that's, that makes me sound super harsh, right? But we need each other to help one another uh, think well about ourselves. And so it's an ongoing dynamic tension. But the last thing to say, that's a bit of a blowout, but I hope that was worth kicking it around a little bit. There is one more thing, though, this passage says we owe church, and that is persistent energy in love. Um, let me just read those last verses again from verse 9. <clears throat> love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So gifts are different, but love is the same. The things Paul talks about here are not special gifts. They are what everyone is called to. Everyone owes the community love that is sincere. The word is literally unhypocritical. Unhypocritical love, genuine love. Everyone owes the community right affections, hatred of what is evil, love of what is good. Do you realize that you owe people a right attitude towards good and evil? Devotion to one another, honor of one another, Never be lacking in zeal. Uh, and the word for zeal there is, it can be translated energy. Never be lacking in energy, but keep your spiritual fervor. That's about enthusiasm. We are called to keep our energy up. How the heck do you do that? Especially if you're an introvert. I think Paul knows that's difficult because he says straight away, we are serving the Lord. And we are all called to joy and to patience and faithfulness in prayer. We're all called to share with the needy and to practice hospitality. This is the answer to Maxon's question. You can't say, oh, my gift is not sharing with the needy. Uh, that's for other people. Actually, that's just a Christian thing. That's, that's just love. There is a big overlap between this list and the previous gifts, right? Think about showing mercy, service, generosity, uh, they're all similar, but as I said, that's because God enables people to do these things in different ways. But we are all cared, uh, all called to care 
to love, to genuine, energetic, truthful, costly investment in the lives of others in community. We are all called to care deeply about one another and to persist in putting energy into that care. And so this is where I want to finish by asking you to think about how you can care and love your brothers and sisters. Does any of these aspects, do any of these aspects deserve new effort from you? When was the last time you were hospitable to somebody at church? Generosity, prayer, willingness to be with those who are suffering. Do you need to revive your energy? What kills a church is apathy, disinterest in one another, lack of energy for one another, but that doesn't need to happen. It doesn't need to happen because we have been drawn by God's grace into the body of Christ and what we do for one another, we do for him. I call this sermon, Three Things We Owe Church. And we do owe these things, but they're not really debts. They're gifts. They're gifts. They are forms of God's grace to us. They are ways in which he has been merciful to us. Each of these things, the way we... Learning to think about ourselves well, learning to delight in difference and growing in love, they are all opportunities to step into his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, let's get on with it, hey? I'll pray. Father, we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and your Holy Spirit, who joins us to him. And we pray that the knowledge of that truth, that we are members of his body, would Fill us with a desire to do church well, to think of ourselves with sober judgment, to be open to the gifts of others and the dynamic work of your spirit, and above all, to seek sincere, genuine love of our brothers and sisters. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. We're going to sing. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.